Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. And we have a wonderful guest back again. Yes, our favorite guest. Thank you, guys. And I'm going to call, if if I say she'll get mad at me, Dr. Mimi Amaral. No. Don't call her that. She doesn't like it either. It's Mimi. Correct. You don't like to be Dr. Peter Bernstein either. No. It's just Mimi. Yeah. No, that's right. By the way, we're starting this. We actually were doing warming up with material here, and it got to be so much fun we forgot to do the show. No, we it really, and and Mimi said, "Geez, we're getting giddy." I wasn't feeling giddy when I walked in, but it, it's fun. We're enjoying it, and one of the things that uh, is, we're taking a very difficult subject, in uh, that that comes up in a very difficult part of people's lives, and the truth is, finding ways to, uh, not just lighten the subject up, but find the positive side of things, and the. Uh, how we can improve through all of this and, and the changes that happen uh, is so important. It's not an easy thing to come by. I'll tell you that right now. No. And yet I'm finding it happening. And folks, if I can do it, anybody can do it because I'm a real heavy character. So I, you know, I, I listen to this and I'm going, you know, I am learning and I am growing and I'm also feeling plenty of the changes that we all go through as caregivers dealing with difficult situations in life, which we all, all of us, uh, not just people in in this room, uh, are going to, you're going to face it. Uh, If you believe you're going to be untouched, you're living in a world of fantasy. It's not true. We're all touched. This is a part of life that's very real. It's a difficult part of life, and you got to wonder, can anything positive or good come out of something so dark and difficult and painful? The answer is yes, but it's not a yes that's Pollyannish and uh, out of some books or some philosophy. It's real life experience. There's different roads you can take. There's a road that I've seen people take where they just build up the resentments, the bitternesses, the anger. They don't do too well and they don't come out of it very well at all. There's others that Find a different road, a different path, that even though they're in the same kind of pain as the folks that grow bitter, the folks that run away, that don't want to face the difficulty, um, they, they embrace it. They move toward it and they don't veer away, although they have the emotional reactions that they'd love to. We all would love to just not have to face this, but they do. And as they face it, there's a lot that begins to happen to change people. Um, When we started this series 38 episodes ago, we talked about facing struggle and adversity and not running away. Um, We used one book that was very inspiring called Transformative Resilience uh, by a couple of very fine ladies. I can't remember their name. Emma and Stephanie Marston. Great book. And we take it a lot further 
we've been using that kind of material for years before we read that book, but I would recommend it. And it talks about the value of not running away and finding strength and resilience that will transform your life. And you will become a different person, a lot better. Um, that's the way I live. Uh, I was talking to my 93-year-old mother yesterday, or what was it, Sunday, Saturday? Mm-hmm. And she, she loves me, and uh, I'm so glad she does. And she says to me, you know, life is very, you're facing a lot of difficulties. Life is tough, isn't it? And I says, you're a man's man. And I, what she was meaning by that is my character, that I've always been a person that I feel a lot, but I don't run away from anything. I move toward it and embrace it. And uh, through that, there's been a strength that's developed in me over the years. And yet I feel a lot. I am sensitive. I care a lot. I'm touched deeply by people's pain and struggles. Uh, I have plenty of them in my own life. Right now I'm going through a very, very painful time with my beloved wife, Lynn. Um, I, interestingly, I was just watching, uh, not watching, but I see these videos are coming up of, what's his name? The dog, uh, dog the Bounty Hunter. Dog the Bounty Hunter. And his <laughs> wife, Beth, just passed away about a week and a half ago. And they've been very open about their shared love. And what he went through and what she went through during her fight with cancer and how he was with her to the very last moment. And um, that's something that he shared with the public. And it's also now the time that they're sharing of the grief and the loss. And he speaks so openly and so humanly. And I read today, he says he still can't believe she's not here anymore. They were that close. And if anybody remembers their TV show, I wasn't a great fan of it. She was always there. And she was a pretty strong, tough lady. And she was a great balance for him. So he's definitely grieving and at loss. And he's showing it openly. And he's a big, tough guy. He doesn't, it's not like he didn't have any, he had an easy life. He's been a tough guy. And if you look at him now, you can't miss the pain and the distress the man is under. losing his beloved soulmate. So I look at that, and I'll be honest with you, I am so grateful that he had the courage to share that publicly because it's something that supports me and what I'm going through. And my wife and I have been together, geez, 46 years. And it's the worst, to me, the worst outcome that's inevitable is coming. And I know it's going to come. And I can deal with everything up to that. But I'll be honest with you, just to anticipate that just tears my heart out. And I'm, I'm grieving, and she's still with me, and I'm grateful. In fact, just before the broadcast, I had other things going on, and I had, wanted to run home just to see her. And she's with a caregiver, and, my, and the caregiver there, Haloa, um, said Peter had to get his limb fixed mm-hmm. just to see her, just to whatever stage she's in. And sometimes she doesn't even know who I am. Or yeah. She did today, but she was... She was struggling just to see her and just give her a little kiss and, and, and touch her hand was enough to get me over here and feel better. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking I was running from the gym. I was running from eating, from working. And I'm thinking, am I going to be able to squeeze in seeing Lynn before I get to the show? And the answer was, I was going to make it happen. And I have a really fast car. Yes, he does. I do. I have a Corvette <laughs> a Z06. A black sports car. That's right, a Z06. And let me tell you, I can make the thing move. 
So I yep. was there in no time, and I was here in no time. Yep. And yep. all the Petaluma police out there don't listen to this. No, they like, no, <laughs> they're my, they like me. Most no of laws them, were violated. A lot of them are all my good. friends, and they, they probably see me, and they go, oh, it's, it's Bernstein. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I did do that, and I, I love my wife. But I certainly can relate to... What he's got, dog, his name yes. is... Uh, dog the Bounty Hunter. I can't yeah, remember. I don't even heard of that. Name. I don't yeah. know anymore. I can't that. remember. But, it, you know, he's a loving man, yes. and he loves his wife. And it was That's great beautiful. support to me mm-hmm. for what I'm going through. Yeah, to view it, yeah. to see it happen. Uh, and I was yes. never a fan of his show. or I never even heard of his show until just now. Yeah. Where have you been, Mimi? You know, locked up in books and, oh, okay. and computers. No, this isn't, <laughs> the guy, this isn't that show. This wouldn't be on that... <laughs> Um, venue, yeah, but it's a popular show, and I, I've seen maybe little venue, venue, little things of it, yeah. Uh, and yet, this part of their life has been a very strong statement to the public of, hey, everyone faces this, yes, and this is what you go through, and it's been done with such sensitivity and heartfelt love yeah. that you can't miss it. You just melt, and if you look at the guy, you don't believe he's got a heart. But he does. Yeah. And so did she. Yeah. Well, Very nobody's sweet. immune. To... Dwayne, is that his name? Dwayne Chapman. Dwayne Chapman? Okay. Uh-huh. It is, okay, our te- technical producer told me it's Dwayne Chapman. There you and go. that is so sweet. Mm-hmm. And I would rather call him Dwayne because he's a sweet guy. He's yeah. my, he's my guy. kind of people. Yeah. yeah. And she was a lovely lady. Uh, but anyway, she's 51 years old. She's gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, and it can happen at any time. I that's mean, it's right. no. There's no age. You have children passing away of of disease and cancer. You have yeah. elders passing away, yeah. and everybody in between as well. You yeah. know, this is not something any of us is going to be immune to facing, whether we do it ourselves and go through it ourselves, being sick and going that route, yeah. or walking with someone that we care about going that route. It could be a family member. It could be a husband, wife. You know, best friend, whatever. Absolutely. And you, you know that we're talking about facing adversity. Well, as far as I'm concerned, this is probably the worst adversity in my life. And yet I've faced many other times. And it's those other times that have given me the strength and resilience yeah. to face this. Yeah. A good friend of mine had mentioned that um, many have told him, oh, no, you know, my mom just passed or my, my you know, wife just passed. And, and he was sympathetic. And when his mother, his own mother passed, he was he, he had reached out to me and he said, I had no idea. You don't know until it hits you personally uh, you just cannot describe it you cannot you sympathize with someone else and and but you don't get it until it actually happens to uh, you he is so right here i am i was a psychotherapist for 49 years doing some of the most difficult trauma work thinking i was the walking empathetic man, uh, person and what mimi just said is me yeah i never had the empathy and the uh, being stripped the way I'm being stripped now before this time. I yeah. never could have known. And it's interesting, there's a, a, a restaurant in town called Saxes. Saxes this is a good, we're giving you a little um, acknowledgement here. Yes. <laughs> but it's run by some uh, very uh, big, tough, beautiful, good women. Uh, they all have Harleys, yes. pink Harleys. No, these are for real. Right on. Yeah. And they took care of three people and their, their father. And two others in a year and a half's time. Yes. And they knew my wife. And they see I go in to eat. And the big one, uh, Kimberly's big, 
beautiful big lady. <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, no one can understand what this is like until mm -hmm. they go through it. Oh. And she said it with such an understanding and an mm -hmm. empathy. And yeah. you look at her and you go, nothing could hurt her. And she talked with such tenderness and yes. sensitivity. And so is her sister, same way. Yes. So what, there's people around. It. It's a very sweet experience, but boy, is it difficult. Yeah. And we are stripped to our very core during it. And I think after our break, we'll talk about that because Mimi wants to talk about... Various it's, things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> she wants to talk about the changes that people go through. So uh, we do need, I do think that's important to talk about. Yeah. But anyway, we have to take a break. And, and also not getting stuck. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and I'm here in the studio with Peter Bernstein and with our guest, Mimi Amaral. And in our first uh, segment today, we talked about the, um, the importance of facing the very painful, difficult things that come into our life. Uh, we're kind of today focusing on caregiving and loss, uh, disease, disability, death of the people we love and care for. And how do, we, how do we take this on in a way that can have a positive, uh, a positive outcome for us, that we can grow, that we can become more who we were meant to be? Um, how do we bring some energy and some hope into this situation? And uh, we also, Mimi also pointed out, and Peter agrees, that in some of these situations, you just don't know how it's going to feel until it happens to you. Mm -hmm. And from that, so many different reactions can happen. Mm -hmm. When difficulty comes into someone's life, they can be, as Peter said, drawn forward to deal with it. Take it on. There are other ways people react, too. There's a whole spectrum of ways that this can happen. And, and in a family, even, you can see such a variety of reactions and responses to difficulty. Correct. Yeah, I think... It Mimi is going to talk. I'll tell you what. We're really fortunate to have Mimi here today. Thank for you. For more ways than one. You're welcome, Mimi. <laughs> really. Well, I have fun with you guys. So, yeah, we you enjoy know. you too. Yes. Um, but one of the things we talked, we had a staff meeting this morning, and I'm saying, I see the people that run away from these difficult situations and don't want anything to do with them, find different ways to hide out and not help or be involved at all. And... Uh, I wouldn't be the most empathetic person about it. <laughs> I can feel just like they feel. Yeah. And I feel it many times. I wish I could just run away. And yet, I've always been the kind of person that I don't run away. In fact, I do the opposite. Yes. I embrace the difficulty. And we were talking about the broadcasting and going, now how am I going to talk about with empathy and compassion the people that run away, that can't face it? And I'm thinking... I wouldn't be the right person because, as my mother says, you're the you're a man's man, and she didn't mean just John Wayne type. I have all the emotion and sensitivity of anybody, but my reactions are usually go for it. Don't let the fear control you. Have courage and strength. I live by that. It doesn't mean I don't feel the fear. I yes. just don't let it control me. 
thank goodness Mimi is here today. Yes. Because as we were warming up, she started talking in a more compassionate way, an empathetic way about some of the other reactions. Well, and this you. is And this is important because the people listening to us, yeah. we do not want the message to be, there's something wrong with you. Yes. We want to yeah. encourage and inspire people to take on whatever is next in their life, to come to some way to move forward. That is our goal. And in order to move forward, sometimes you have to accept, acknowledge where you are right now, even if you're being so afraid you can't do a thing. Yeah, you feel frozen, Yeah, but you have to make the change. I think we were discussing that, too, about the verbal loop and how it can cause um, decompression. Okay, but there's a lot of yeah. words right there. Let's let's slow down just a bit. So let's back up. Um, I think we'll go back to verbal loop and start by saying what is it when someone gets into a verbal loop? What is that? Well, subjectively, from what I observe, it's basically when you can you get pent up and anxiety and you get stressed out for whatever situation. What we're discussing today is you know the death of a loved one. So. All that stress of, of doing everything and holding everything and, and possibly not having help because there are members of the family or extended members or friends that have an opportunity to help, but they don't have within them the capacity to face what's happening. So it's easier for them to space themselves from it, you know, distance themselves from it. And somebody goes into talking with somebody like you, Jenny, if I came in and I started discussing things with you and, and I feel all this pressure and and heaviness. And then I come into you and I talk to you every day just to tell you a little bit about what's happening, what's happening, what's happening, but I never change anything. And I never, I never really feel the feelings and I never, um, actually look at the process of the pain that I have to walk through to get to the other side. I keep bypassing it by verbally talking to you every day and decompressing a little bit thinking, oh, I feel a little bit better now. There's a little bit of relief. There's a little bit of relief. So I'm okay. And that's what the verbal loop is, is it's even not just this situation, but any kind of situation that's stressful, you know, relationships or the death of a loved one. That's what a verbal loop is, is you get stuck in the verbal loop. You, you, let a little bit out by discussing it with a friend or a family or a member group. or some, in a group some therapy session, like grief okay. session. Yeah. Well, we call it, I've been calling it, this is new to me, this word, this label. I've been calling it uh, uh, emotional hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see it happen a lot, particularly in the caregiving support world. Yes. And there's some very well-meaning groups out there. But she's right. I see a lot of people come in. That's what they do. They believe that they just come in, they just talk about what they're going through, and that's enough. And they don't change anything. Yeah, they yeah. just keep doing the same things over and over again, complaining about the same things, carrying their bitternesses and resentments. Yeah. Over Now, that isn't everybody, by the way. No, it's not. There are plenty of people that don't do this, but I've been amazed at how many do do this. And it's encouraged, well, you need to talk to somebody. Uh, you need to come to a support group. And I can... I'll be honest with you. I go to support groups, and they don't let me lead, even though I've done thousands of them, which I'm glad of. I could lead them. That's not what you went there for. No, No. and it's easy for me to want to take over when I see sometimes how poorly run they are. But when I look at particularly particularly when I'm in a group, when I'm what Mimi's talking about, I want to take it over and straighten it out immediately. 
a lot of the uh, uh, helping care group organizations believe in peer group counseling. Well, yeah. I don't believe Facilitators. it. I don't yeah. like it. And I'll tell you why. Because it feeds, they feed off of each other and this mm-hmm. thing grows into a monster. And it doesn't start off good in the first place. It takes a, it takes a person who can fil- facilitate and shift the focus off of the hemorrhaging, emotional hemorrhaging, or the... The loop, the loop. verbal loop. Verbal you need loop. somebody to stop it yes. and to shift to, to something more constructive and positive. Yeah. And unless you have that, this thing can grow into a monster. And I've been, in, I've been through groups that, of well-meaning facilitators, and, I, and I've come back to our institute and go, we would have fired them in an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't let that go down. Well, the thing with that is if you keep in that, that loop or that, that environment, the toxic environment, it, you, you don't move forward. You don't actually move through the pain. You don't witness the pain. You don't feel the pain, and you don't move forward. And and there was something you had mentioned, if I may, um, that you know you you go forward and you move through it and you face it, and, and that's great. And there's also the aspect of sometimes – we have to acknowledge um, as human beings going through difficult times that it's it's time to move away sometimes too. It's time to change and move the environment. And I don't necessarily mean, okay, you're caretaking for your, for a sibling or, or a parent. Um, and I don't mean move away from the parent caretaking. I mean move away from the family members who are not um, participating or the friends who are creating more stress and heaviness you know there's there's only so much capacity any of us has and to change means also to move away from those who are not um healthy enough to be in it okay i think many people know someone who when they talk to them they want the opportunity to complain and that's all they really want to do they want to just have a chance to complain and and dump and then they walk away feeling better but the person who had to listen to all that walks away yeah. feeling worse. That's okay, the, you know the, that's the toxin that Mimi is talking about. And you know what else you call it? And I ha- Those are emotional vampires. Yeah, and I have a new word. It's a complaint train. <laughs> it just keeps going around and around. She's right, and I've seen it. She's not making this up theoretically. I've seen it in and in the helping, well-intentioned caregiving world. Mm-hmm. This goes on a lot. Yeah, um, I do see people benefit too. Not everybody's like that, but too yes. much of it goes on. It's very hard for me to just sit back and keep my mouth shut because um, we at our institute, we don't let that happen. Or we're very well. I make sure everybody's very well trained uh, in our caregiving. We work in teams. So if we see something going down, the team moves in yes. and in a very loving way begins to find out what's going on and how to close the gap, how to straighten things yeah. out. We have done so many different shows on the manifest different ways that hey if you're in a caregiving relationship and it's very we if you're an empathetic person and we all are you do there is an exchange of energy during an extremely and when i say negative i don't mean sour and bitter difficult relationship painful. and the painful and the energy that goes into it uh, you're dealing with someone who's moving through a very serious illness mm-hmm. to potentially dying um, it's a very tough thing, and they can't give back much. No. So we're, as caregivers, you're giving all the time. Well, a couple of things about that. Number one is we absorb some of that negative energy. You can't help it. Um, the the, the uh, other part of it is that um, 
you want to keep the relationship nurturing and nourishing for these folks and for yourself. And when you're absorbing this kind of energy and you let it take you down too far and you don't do anything about it except either be just emotionally hemorrhaging or whatever Mimi's term is. Verbal loop. Yeah. yeah. So what I hear, though, okay. I hear you both saying that... Um, when difficulty uh, in uh, someone comes in some comes into their life someone they love is is failing their health is failing mm-hmm. they're caring for them and they are struggling they're frozen stuck mm-hmm. or they're in some kind of verbal loop or emotional hemorrhage and um there's a there's a spectrum you use the word spectrum there's a Correct. spectrum between being confrontational get with it you're not carrying out whatever and being oh it's okay you don't have to and how and uh, especially for family members how hard this must be to navigate when you're it in pain be. yourself and someone you love is failing how do you navigate this situation where you're faced with working with someone or wanting to help someone and they they can't get their feet under them or they don't want to this is not simple at no. all oh no and this is not an uh uh a big picture answer because this is the kind of thing that is a day by day kind of challenge. Correct. We're yeah. talking about something else that we've talked about many times, and that is, what does a caregiver have to learn about themselves well, during these times? You 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 learn so much. I did personally, subjectively. I was, I learned so much about myself um, going through this with you know with my father um, that. You know, you you grow regardless if you want to or not. You're faced with it, and you just you get busted open, and you just absorb and and process and learn and and experience everything as you're going. There's no way you can be the same human you were once this is over. That's right, at all. But there's two different kinds of reactions. One is avoidance, bitterness, and anger. Yes, and blame. And the other one is the one you're talking about is growing. Correct. And uh, improving as if as a human being, it takes through these experiences. I I think we're stripped to our very core. Yes, I and would say And we were that. talking earlier about I, I, somebody mentioned to me earlier in the show that what one of the big changes. I've always been a giving person, but I've considered myself partly selfish and indulgent. And now, I'll be honest with you, it's giving a hundred percent of the time and not seeing myself as selfish but selfless yes. in my giving. And I know it's true. That doesn't mean I wouldn't like to take a little time off. In fact, I finally did on Friday for the first time. To me, that was like a Hawaiian vacation. And I'll tell you how that went. This is very interesting. I had a great time for several hours. And uh, I'm a great, I love horses. I, I love to compete on cutting horses. I'm going to get back into that. Um, and it was a great time. Well, let me tell you the after effects. When I came home, I certainly was in pain because it's a painful thing physically, but I love it. But the other part of it that I just felt stripped again. I had to come back and I miss my wife. We used to share these experiences together. I see her in her wheelchair. Um, she barely can relate. Yeah. Uh, my heart breaks, and I can't help it. And the effects of the the time I took off, believe me, I valued every minute of it, no lie. But the after effects shocked me because I actually felt more grief and pain after this experience than before because I could only take so much of it for some reason 
I do want to take care of myself. I do. I did indulge myself for a few hours, but before I could indulge myself for a few weeks. I think uh, care, caregivers have a tendency to throw guilt on themselves too. Very you know? fast. You don't have to worry. It's, it's built in. Yeah, it's, unfortunately, I think we're we're conditioned that way. Not even just by uh, ancestral, but society. Society, as well. and we call it the. Um, we all have our uh, committee upstairs. Yeah, That's there exactly. to tell us you're being selfish instead of saying you need some self care yeah. right now and do that f- important. Yeah, let's return to this. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and today uh, Peter and I are joined by Mimi Amaral. And I'm going to go back. Uh, in our last segment, we were talking about uh, the different responses that uh, if, if difficulty, uh, disease, uh, caregiving for a loved one comes into a family, the different responses that different family members can make and some of the ways that things can uh, people can get stuck. Uh, we talked about a, a verbal loop. We talked about, which Peter calls emotional hemorrhaging. Um, we talked about uh, what it feels like to be taking on all this negative energy. And then I asked a question. And I said, uh, how, if you're in this situation and you're working, you're part of a family, part of a group, and you've got someone who is stuck and or someone who is becoming um, a, uh, an energetic toxin or you're, you've got, how do you respond? How do you react to this? What is this like? And both of you said that this experience strips you to your core and makes you face yourself. I know you guys mean something as a response to the question, but I didn't get it hooked up. Can you okay. connect it for me? I can, but I want to hear Mimi because I know what I got to say about it because it's from one of our other episodes. I'd love to hear Mimi's response. Yes. To give her a shot at this first. Yeah, that, thank you. That'd be wonderful. For me uh, personally, subjectively, it does. I mean, this journey, um, regardless if I did it with my father or I've done it with um, you know, other humans I have helped go through it, uh, for me personally, sitting back and observing the dynamics of everything and everybody around me and then how the focus was on me caretaking for my poppy, my dad. Um, basically, I saw the capacity and the non-capacity of those are surrounding me, um, including my mom, um, during this time. And I realized that I'm really thankful and truly grateful that I have this opportunity to walk with my father down this, this uh, journey. And at the same exact instance, I acknowledged and realized that if I were not here, I don't know how this would have occurred because... I noticed that others around the situation, and I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers or anything because I really, truly, and I mean this. So anybody out there listening, please listen. Everybody has to process, especially death of a family member or a loved one in their own time, in their own way, and no one should ever feel guilty 
or project other guilt or issues on those who cannot be in it at that time. Again, this is my subjective perspective, but from what I have visualized and observed through the entire journey with my father, sometimes I feel personally that if certain humans were to interact and go past their capacity, that they themselves would have been in a deep, deep, hard space that they may not have been able to come out of. So I allowed the space and acknowledgement of you do what you feel is best for you. Um, you have to take care of you. You have to process this in your own time and your own space and not feel guilty because you're not doing it the same capacity that I'm able to. And I've told that to many, many, many surrounding my father at the time of his journey. Because what I realized is not everybody has the capacity to watch someone pass on. They just don't. Holding their hand as they die and they take their last breath. That is something that not all of us have the capacity and that is completely 100% okay. And though, you know, at, at times I'm sure there's opinions and projections of, well, they should be involved, they should be helping, they should be this. That wasn't how I viewed it. You know, I was just grateful that I could be the best me that I could be. And I wasn't going to judge anybody else's process. And I allowed them to have that without throwing guilt, without projecting anything. Because nobody knows anybody else's psyche. Nobody else knows anybody else's um, capacity to process, or even if they even have the coping mechanisms or, or tools to process what they're going to need to process. And who, who's to say that there's a specific way or time frame that somebody has to, to walk through this? It's, it's not an easy walk. It's a difficult one. You know, I'm sitting here learning. You know how tall, Lindy, this is a little lady over here, and she's a big woman. Only in one way. Thank That's you. A, this is a big woman, <laughs> and I'm sitting here learning. And she's speaking to my heart, believe me, and to my head, because I'm not as nice as she is. And uh, I wish, well, I do have a strong man complex, and I don't call it a complex. As far as I'm concerned, it's the way it should be. And I believe when I look at, this is not a, a, a bad, I believe Mimi's right on the button. Thank you. I really do. I'm in the midst of it. <coughs> Excuse me. I help other people in the midst of it. My feeling is, hey, they need to engage or they're going to be carrying that burden for the rest of their lives. And I know it's true because we have people that work for us yes. that have gone through it. And to this day, they talk about the burden of not being there for their parent or someone they love. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a very painful burden for them. That part's true. That is true. But that's their own personal choice that they made. And may I just throw in, sometimes it's not a conscious, always a conscious type choice. Um, one thing Mimi mentioned, and I, I know this is true, is that there are times when people are unprepared. Absolutely. Emotionally, developmentally, personally, Absolutely. unprepared for what's happening, and it it's not, may not be their fault. Well, here's my experience. Here's what I say. How could you possibly be prepared for something that is difficult as this? Right. Um, we've talked about folks that who don't run away 
and have really been involved in a transformative resilience for a long time. So they have a, they have so much experience to fall back on. They know they're going to get through it. They know deep down intuitively there is hope, and they're going to come out this the other side. I'm one of those. Okay, that's the truth. I help many other people build their repertoire. I've always said one of the the most difficult vulnerabilities is folks that have not wanted to face difficulty in life, believe that anything's going to touch them. And when it really finally does come, and it does for everybody, one way or the other, they have nothing to fall back on. Yeah. They have no repertoire. They have no experience because they've avoided this with with a master mastery. And then when it really happens... They're left so unprepared and vulnerable in the worst worst ways. And that's what we were talking about, the um, stripping raw. Stripping. Oh, stripping, yeah. being awestruck. Being awestruck and then being open to being raw. That's the pivotal moment that humanizes everyone, whether they want to be or not. It does. That and is the human pivotal moment. Because you're, you're facing yourself. There's yeah. nothing left. You're just stripped yeah. to your core, which can be a very positive growth producing experience through a lot of pain and suffering yeah or it can be something you want to run away from because it's so horribly painful yeah you could spiral into the darkness and start self-medicating and hopefully that's not the route that one chooses but again we all have free will and we all have a choice you know well you're right i mean i think you're absolutely right um, here we sit today. Here's an interesting thing. I'm hearing such wisdom, and um, we're speaking from real experience. Uh, I have so many years clinically. Mimi's a psychologist, and she's written a couple of books. She's this is a very, she's been through a lot in her life. Jenny's an engineer. Very. She's probably the smartest person in this room. Um, I agree. Yeah, well, she runs our institute. She runs. As she, she does a lot. She wears a lot of hats. Yeah, she does. And, yeah, uh, yeah, she does. And she even made me wake up early. <laughs> Good for you. She, we got done ten o'clock last week, and I had to be up real early. To and you to, know what it was for? It was so he would go enjoy himself. Oh, there you go. And See, self care. And then she and said, as she's leaving at ten o'clock, she said. What'd you say, Jenny? I said, if you if you want me to be there at seven fifteen and I don't see you till eight, I'll be pissed. She there said, I'm go. gonna. She <laughs> said, I'll kill you. <laughs> she didn't say it. That she looked at me and she said, you better be there. Uh, and I walked in the out. door. I walked in the door and he was there. Right there, you ready. go. I was before. We were I was totally called out. Yeah, but honestly, we the the point that I'm making, and this is something that happens when you're stripped. Mm-hmm. And here we have incredible wisdom and intelligence in the room thank you and all of all kinds academic all personal you know you could read scholarly books and you're not going to hear anything that more intelligent than this here's why it sounds so human and down to earth because we've all been going through and we've all been through these stripping experiences yes. where everything that we learned either holds you hold it holds water or it doesn't but the beauty of it. Here is Mimi, who's a doctor. Here I am. I've been a, a doctor for f- 49 years. I don't want people to see me that way. No. And there's a reason. Because, you know, I used to talk about helping people becoming more human and accepting themselves. But it was always from a clinical perspective. And now I don't see people clinically, unless they're super disturbed and scary. I see them as human to human. 
And yeah. other people relate to me that way. That's what I value. The support and love that I receive is because I also give it. It's a human-to-human interaction. Mimi's yeah. the same way. Well, I, I'd like to kind of like back that up in, in my own words. And again, this is subjective. But, you know, honestly, for me, and that's why I never tell anybody about my education. I never discuss, you know, labels and stuff like that is because I am no better and no worse than other human being on this earth. Seriously, it doesn't matter how much school you've had or how much, you know, money you've made or what cars you drive or or any of that. Because if you're not relating human to human, then you know it. You're you're missing something. You know, it's not about what what you've 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 accomplished truly it's really honestly about that hey i'm right here and i can actually understand what you're what you're saying and what you're going through and and it doesn't matter what i've done in my lifetime you can do it too and and the the thing that you know that's another reason i don't tell anybody about my education is going to say well of course you can do it look what you've done you know you're you're this or you're that no i started out just as a human, and I still am just a human. More now. Yes. More now. Jenny's uh, a break, You've been right? listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and I feel almost at a loss to describe, uh, summarize all the things we talked about in our last segment. We covered so much that is so important. Um, We were talking about uh, developing the capacity and the courage to face the difficult things that come into our life and to develop the... um, trying to find the word here, the, the acceptance for others who are struggling in the same, the same way yeah. and what these kinds of experiences teach us about ourselves. Um, if we continue with where we were, um, I don't know whether we want to keep going there or if we want to get a little more uh, specific or practical about the actual caregiving experience for family members. I want to leave it up to you both to see where you'd like to go next. There is one thing we mentioned and we went past it too fast. Mimi brought it up and alluded to something that's very true. While we're going through these experiences, there are people that can be very toxic to be around. Another word for that is they become very draining and their energy is very negative. They're complainers. Uh, They're just resentful, they're bitter, they're fearful. But I think one of the things that we we learned, and I've learned this better now than I ever have before, is we're putting out so much energy as caregivers to people in need that need to have this, we need the relationship that 
they need to, uh, that they, folks that we're taking care of, whether we're professional caregivers or family member caregivers, we want to make that a nourishing, loving, nurturing experience. Okay, when you're around, that takes a lot of energy. It does. That we have to put out positive. It's not like you have to. That's what you want to do. That's yes. what you want to do. Yeah. Okay, here's what happens, though. You become highly fine-tuned to folks that don't do that and drain you. Yeah. And they aren't the kind of people you can afford to be around because you have much bigger fish to fry. You have more important priorities. Um I'm a great advocate. I'm not one of these passive adaptive types, as Jenny will tell you. But when I'm around people like that now that drain me or get negative or bring things into about the world, uh, about money or whatever it can be, business. And if I feel that their energy is really negative during a time when I need to be there for others and give everything I have, I have no tolerance whatsoever for those kind of folks being around me because I can feel the energy being drained and being sucked out of me. And I can't afford to have that happen. I actually like to, I want to compliment you and I really appreciate what you just said because as a former doctor, (laughs) as you say, and clinical, very, very clinical, you used to be, Mm. um, to have you say that I feel it drain out of me and and you are inside your being and using your senses rather than your intellect. That's huge. That's huge. And I want to point out that that's beautiful that you have transitioned and you actually give uh, credibility to the intuitive sense of the feeling and the energies. And, and I just want to say that's huge. And I, I'm grateful that you actually disclose that and mention that, especially since everybody knows you so well as a very logical, practical, um, you know, doctor of psychology. And Well, you're right. I've always thought myself, I'll be honest with you, I always thought myself to be an intuitive feeling person. Never like this. Never. Yes. I, I, it's just such a change of life. And uh, I am so grateful, although it's coming through a great deal of pain. Uh, well, this is yeah. the stripping process yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah, exactly. But I don't hope to ever go back to a clinical view of life. Yeah. I never, You know, it's funny. I talk to clinical people sometimes. I try to avoid them. And uh, uh, two weeks ago, I ran again. I was at a, with someone, and uh, a, a, a psychologist came outside and knew me, knew me and uh she wanted to know about the the Bernstein Institute and what we're doing, and I told her a little bit about it, but I was very vulnerable this day. And uh, I said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't spend too much time in the clinical world anymore. I, I really believe in, I live it now, as human to human. And she says, oh, we do too. And then she began to give me the theorists and the theories of that, and she's talking, she's, she thinks she's talking human to human. Yeah. She's talking like a typical clinician. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you how it felt afterwards. I walked away feeling that's the way they compete. That's the way they put you down. That's the way they're trying to impress you with how much they know. And there is nothing human to human about it whatsoever. Yeah. Now, I know that world and I've been in it and I've always, I've been a very competitive person. Um, I've be honest with you. I don't. I haven't mixed with a lot of clinicians for many years, but I wasn't not like where I am today. And when I heard it, it hurt. 
to be honest with you, I hurt. And I was thinking, I am feeling so raw and vulnerable. Uh, my body hurts. My emotions are pretty high. And this is, excuse me, this crap is coming at me. Yeah. This is human to human. It's not. And frankly, what was behind it was she's going to show me how smart she was and try to impress me. And I wasn't, what I was impressed with is get the hell away from her as fast as I can. Yeah. Because she had no tuning in. And I had told her about my wife because she knew someone, her mentor was a good friend of my wife's. Mm -hmm. And I said, make sure you tell her that Lena's pretty sick. Yeah. And she started hitting me with how human she was by theorists and trying to show off to me. And I was saying, inside, this really hurts and I want to get away from this lady. It, it resonated in me for hours, thinking that's what I never want to do again to yeah. anybody. Yeah. See the beautifulness of how much that you have allowed yourself to grow and expand mm -hmm. and you, you faced it. You, you, you challenged yourself to be more of, and, of what you could be for yourself. And, and, and that's not beautiful. O not only to be more, but to be willing to let go of things you thought were really important yeah. mm -hmm. at one stage or another of your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, for some people, it might be uh, uh, being great in their career or yes. having, a, you know, we yes. always poke, you know, at, at having wealth or possessions or having a reputation or all these things that, that as in the caregiving experience can come yeah. to seem very mm -hmm. Meaningless. Yeah. Meaningless. And also, right. Is that you, what you said? meaningless. You're Correct. Right. Meaningless. And you also actually have exhibited, exemplified to your entire audience and anybody else who who is listening that it is okay to change. It is okay to say, okay, at one time I believe that you know the top career and top this and was everything, and you've allowed yourself to be human and expand and say, wow, that is not important to me now, so I want to change. So it's okay to change. It's okay to move on. It's okay to move forward and move past anything that is projected, um, whether it be socially or, you know, in career rise or um, ancestrally or, per, you know, parentally, like you were expected to be this and then you got what you thought you were wanting and then you realize that I... I I want something else, and that's okay, too. It's there, more than it's okay. A, it's, yeah. It's the way it is, and I like it this better. This is great. But I will say this. It's with a great deal of pain. Oh, absolutely. And grief. I don't. I can't say I like that experience. It's devastating to me. Yes. But it is it is my life, and yes. I know so many people that hold that stuff in, and they don't share it. Well, they're sharing it with me wherever I go. Yes. And I listen, and yes. I can and they know it. They know I can relate. Yeah. And well, there's the change. I, and I would like to just ask Mimi, how have you changed? Oh, my goodness. So many ways. You got taller and you gained more weight? No, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Oh, you know, okay. I thought at some point in my lifetime that would happen. Nah, hasn't yet. Not have, since seventh grade. That you look fine. You look fine. Don't so, worry about it. Well, fine. it's not about looks. But um, how <laughs> have I changed? I've expanded a lot um, emotionally, mentally. What did you think was important that has no longer important uh, to you? Because things changed. You know, what I've, I've realized is that this is really important to me, that I realize that um, it's okay to allow everybody to just have their own journey and to love. And I've always known this, but when it comes to such an intense dynamic of, you know, your father's death is that 
I really realize that there is those dynamics and those are those every different journey for every different individual. And to not have to try to always help and guide, but to let go, let go and let them journey on their own. I don't have to be there to help somebody else journey their journey um, unless they come to me and say, hey, I want, you know, some insight. I don't have to be the caretaker all the time for everybody. You know, this is that's how I've grown. That's like what Peter was saying that the recognizing that some interactions, some people are just going to be a drain. Absolutely, that, uh, of his energy that he needs for more important things. Uh, that's what I and learned. I'm hearing using you say that in the in the past you had wanted to take care of maybe almost anyone who came in t- yeah. into your life that needed care. Absolutely, and now you're recognizing can't always do that. And the other thing that I recognize is you can't love somebody healthy. You can't love somebody enough to make them healthy and you can't become sick enough yourself to make them healthy. Does that make sense? Yes. And what does your mom, Peter, always say about that, about isn't I'm, it your I'm mom fascinated by what Mimi's saying. I'm learning. I know. <laughs> what, and I, you should, I would like you to repeat it, but I just, I thought it was your mom who said that you can't, that, that the idea of, of someone getting better is that you don't conform to their sickness. Exactly. You have them conform to your health. My mother said that. Or you love them your enough. mother or was it, it's always been you. I thought. No, that. no, that was me, but that came from one of my, that came from Jerry Frank. Oh, that was Jerry. My mentor. Okay. My ah, mentor. Smart he writer. said that. And, yeah. As a as a trained psychotherapist, he was teaching me how to where when we're empathic type of people anyway, um, we're we're not there to adapt even if we're being manipulated to sickness. They have to adapt to our health. Now today, uh, my wisdom and experience uh, have made me certainly more aware of that. I've been so strong as an as an advocate. I'm not a very adaptive type. As Jenny will attest to. Yeah, yeah, uh, I fill that role, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting better. That's why she's <laughs> our administrator. She's better than I am. But one of the things that, uh, truthfully, um, is that um, I don't adapt to people's sickness. But yeah. at the same time, if they don't want to be part of where I am, I don't chase them anymore. And if they don't want to get better, that's their business. It's not, I'm not there to make them better or want to be better. So I don't, there's one of the places that I've changed the way we work plenty, that if somebody is going to do that, mm-hmm. they should talk to somebody else, not us. And yeah. I hear that you've made that change too. Um, yeah. In, in your way. In, in my own way, correct. Yes, I have, definitely. You know, I, I don't think I've ever chased anybody, but I've always extended that hand, always wanted to heal, especially in relationships. You know, you want to love love someone healthy and it's just not possible they have to love themselves healthy and meet meet you you know and you know i i have definitely grown in in so many ways so many ways especially through we were talking about maybe hitting some practical stuff i had no idea what i would need to know going that journey with my father before with the hospice and palliative and then during and then after like I had no idea we needed 20 death certificates because you have to have originals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's the practical side. And, but I, and I know also that we're going to need to come back to cover some of that. Well, I think this is so interesting. And she's right. There are some things, as, as an advocate, I could speak and t- tell you, mm-hmm. at, at the times of, of where it's so critical, 
yes. that a lot of things you're talking about are extremely valuable and supportive that you have to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to make sure she comes back I that we talk to, about to these resume things. this and yeah. get and and we can recap because what we talked about today was so valuable it would be worth going through it again and add some of the more practical things that we were just talking about. I think that'd so. be great. I think so, so yeah. too. Love to have you back. I'm, it's lovely to sit with people and I'm sitting here. Everybody's le- always learning to from me. Oh, I can't tell you how much I'm learning. She's a lot nicer than I am about people who run away. <laughs> I will say that. We have it, to allow other humans to have their I journey. Know, Mimi. <laughs> I know, Mimi. In their own time, in their own way. No, I know she's, I know she's right, too. I do. Yeah. And in practice, I do do that. Yeah. But I've got to tell you, in my heart of hearts, yeah. I'm still my same old self. And as what the hell are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Well, see, and I still have love regardless. You know, that's that's how I, I don't know how to not love someone, even if they have run away or, or decide to do whatever. It's like that that holding that love, you know. I Just, wish I had a little bit more, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> we'll come back. We, maybe we will do this again next time, too. Yeah. Let's come back to this one, yeah. all right? Yeah. Thank you. Both of you, thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, and if you'd like to know more about our show or about Dr. Bernstein, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time.